Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, if you don't know, my name is Jeremy Shelley. I'm the youth and teaching pastor here at Quest, and I, I'm super excited about this message. This is this is really a fun one. I've been really stoked about teaching it for quite a while, and and so um, uh, I think probably the best way for us to to do this is to to dive right into Scripture. We're going to be focused in the book of First Kings this morning, chapter 18, primarily. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to uh, to that. First Kings chapter 18, and, and uh, we're going to uh, study in there. But first, I'm going to provide just a little bit of context to what's going on in the story that we're about to read. Uh, last week, uh, you heard Ross talk about the altar celebration that Joshua and the Israelites experienced as they crossed over the, the, in, like the, in the flooded Jordan River. And um, as the Israelites were, were coming out of captivity in Egypt, moving through the desert, and then going into the promised land, uh, they went into this place where the Canaanites dwelled. And, um, and like as their community developed, they, they became a little bit more, um, well, quite frankly, they demanded things of God as they got into this promised land. One of the things they demanded was that God would provide them with a king. And God warned them. He said, if you have a king, he is going to rule over you and you're not going to like it. But they said, we want it anyway. And then if you fast forward a few years, um, past kings and past kings and past kings, you end up at Ahab. And Ahab was easily the worst king that the Israelites had ever experienced. He, he led them into a lot of different things, into paths of ruin and destruction. He had them worshiping the, the Baal cults and the Asherah cults. And um, Ahab, you probably know who his wife was. Uh, he was married to Jezebel. Does that name ring a bell? Right? Anyone who's married to her can't be a good dude, right? Okay. And um, so... Uh, she she was um, this this woman who had all of the prophets of of God murdered and um, and so the community of God at this point under Ahab's leadership is in a very bad place. Now enter Elijah. He's the last prophet of God, and this is where we're going to pick up his story. Elijah uh, walks up to Ahab at one point and he says. Your nation, Israel, is going, this land is going to experience a drought for a few years. And, um, and, and it's all because of you, of your poor leadership, how you've taken this nation down. And then Elijah ran away from Ahab because he didn't want to die. And so we're going to pick up the story from there. Uh, we're once again, first Kings chapter 18, verse 17 and following. I'm going to read from the ESV and I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles to go ahead and open up, follow along with me in your Bible, underline stuff. If you, if you want to, if you have a question about something, underline it. Um, uh, but if you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. We have the words are going to be on the screen. We're going to start here in verse 17, picking up the story after this drought. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. 
Now therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now I want to stop here for a second. Because this story is like, it's just taken off already. This is, this is like intense moment. Elijah essentially is stepping up to the king of Israel and he's saying, what you got? Like, it's about time for a reckoning. And you can bring your entire squad, meet me up at Mount Carmel. We're going to fight. You know, 3 o'clock at the bike racks, dude. We're, you know, it's going down. Um, actually, not 3 p.m. It's in the morning. But it doesn't matter. Elijah is calling out the king. And this is, this is an outrageous moment in the text. It's theatrical. And it reminds me of, um, well, quite frankly, it reminds me of professional wrestling. Like, that's what I think of in this moment. And um, I don't know if any of you are big fans of professional wrestling. I'm sure none of the ladies are. Guys, this is, this is what it is. Just, I'll just call it out. Um, it's, it's essentially soap operas for men. That's what uh, professional wrestling is. Sorry for those of you who enjoy your daily shows with greased up men. But um, no, I, when, I, when I see the story, the thing that I think of is John Cena. And I, I, I brought a video. Is it okay if I show a wrestling video in church on Sunday morning? Is it okay? I brought a video because this is what I think of when, when Elijah is approaching Ahab and all of these prophets. This is exactly what I think of. Watch this video. I'm sorry, that's just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> Now, in case you don't know, that's fake, all right? Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that it, the story of Elijah is fake like this, uh, you know. <laughs> so funny. Um, no, what's, re- what's happening in the Bible, I mean, this is real. And that's what's so awesome about it because you, you, <laughs> you got this. Oh, it's just great. Here, let's, let's go back. Let's go back into the story so I can gather it together. All right, verse 20. <laughs> so Ahab, some of you are like, can we just keep watching that? Like, <laughs> shut up, Jeremy, show the rest of it. No, that's all I brought today. Okay. Verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel, and he gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people, and he said, Now, and, and if you have your Bibles, underline this next line, this question. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. And then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. He's about to throw down here. Like this is, he's calling them out. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood. But put no fire to it. 
And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Skip to verse 26. And they looked, and they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, <laughs> I love this part. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he's musing or he's <laughs> relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud. They cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances. Thank the Lord. We don't have to do that. Um, where was I? After, as their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on. Until the time of the offering of oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. <laughs> it's just, I, so Elijah. He's the only prophet for the God of Israel left. And he's standing in front of at least 850 other people. And he is just tormenting them. <laughs> like your God must be, you know... Off wandering around through the woods or, you know, doing a little paperwork. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he's too busy to answer to you. And, um, oh my gosh. It's, but I love, I love what Elijah is accusing these people of. Cause you have to pay attention. He's not just talking to Baal prophets. He's not just talking to Asherah prophets. He's talking to the people of Israel who have chosen to worship Baal and Asherah. He says to them, verse 21, read this. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. I mean, this is, this is Elijah telling the Israelites that they are not worshiping God as sovereign. Sovereign, right? It's, it's this, the, the full right and power of God without any interference from anyone else. If the Israelites were to honor God's sovereignty, then, then they can't trust in another God to provide anything for them. And, and honestly, I think this is one of those concepts that we as 21st century Americans who are fiercely independent struggle with. We don't want people or God or someone else to have authority over us. We want to be able to do it on our own. We want to provide for ourselves. We want to believe that we are good enough, strong enough, whatever it is. But when we do that, we miss the point of God's sovereign care for us. You see, when we submit to the authority of God... He provides for us with our very best interest. It's not about control. God's sovereignty, His authority, it's not about controlling us. It's about giving us what's best 
for us. And, and if we believe, if we believe that God created all of this that we experience, and that's the orthodox view of Christianity, that, that God created it. He's the one that, that's put all things into motion. He made you and me. He made this earth. He did all of it. If we believe that, that the God who created us, who brought us into existence, we believe in that. Doesn't it follow logic to believe that God also knows what's best for us? So, to submit to his authority is to say, God, you know what's best for me. And I trust that you'll provide it. And see, th- this is ultimately what's going on with, um, with the Baal gods and the Asherah gods. The, 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 the Canaanites were worshiping these gods because they think their worship will appease them and that the gods will then take care of them. And, and Elijah is saying, quit, quit it, Israelites, stop it. Quit waffling. Don't be people of two opinions, of two minds. Just be of one mind. And I, I, for us this morning, I, I think it's important for us to consider the things that we might be trusting in that are at odds with God's sovereign reign in our lives. Now, I'm, I'll confess one to you. And, and, and the point of me doing this is only to say, look, when we start to think about what's happening in our lives, what we trust more than God, when we, when we identify what those things are, then we can surrender that to God and we can say, take control of this in my life. Christ, I invite you into this space where I'm, I'm struggling for you to reign, but I invite you into it so that you can transform me, so that you can make me more into, more, more like you. For me, I, and I'm sure this is probably true for a lot of us, for me, I trust more in, in my job, in my career. Like when I think about providing for my family, I think this is the only way that I can do it, and, and I'm, I, I've got to be so good at doing my job, Right? I've got to be so good at doing my job so that my kids have food and shelter, so that my wife has food and shelter, so that we can live the way we want to live. But the reality is that the way that God, and I'm, I love my job, by the way. I, I, I feel so privileged to do what I get to do. But the reality for me is the reason that I get to do what I get to do is because God put me here. He put into my heart passions and desires that led me to this place. It's because of Him that I'm even here. And quite frankly, if this was ripped away from me, if it was taken away from me for one reason or another, He would still find a way to provide for me as long as I remain under His sovereign care. And that's true for you as well. That's the truth for all of us. God's sovereignty is what provides for us. God's authority is what provides for us. God is who provides for us. Well, let's continue on in this story. Um, we'll we'll kind of wrap back around to that thought in a minute, but let's go. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob To whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two siahs of seed. That's about three and a half gallons. 
He put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I mean, whoa, right? This is amazing. Verse 40. Well, I'll just, I'll just read this because it's, you know, it's good. Anyway. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. It's not a pretty picture, but whatever. Um, this is, this is a, a clearly a theatrical scene, right? I mean, this is big and bold. This is, this is Elijah saying to the people of God, this is how powerful your God is. Surrender to him. See, the Israelites, they, they fell into to Baal worship subtly. And Elijah wanted to say, no, boom, this is God. This is time to come back. See, see, the Israelites, they, they came out of, out of the desert from captivity where, where God had provided everything for them. Water, food, direction, rules. He, he gave them everything. And they get to this place that's more fertile than any other place that they've ever been course this is where god has been leading them the whole time in his sovereign rule over them this is exactly what god created for them this is the place that he wanted them to live in and to be fertile and fruitful in but when they got there they saw these canaanites worshiping these other gods and they looked at the the fertile ground and the, the you know the plush fruits and all that kind of stuff and they're like well you know they must be doing something right so what, maybe we should worship the uh, Baal gods. Maybe we should worship the, the Asherah gods. You know, they, they, this is what's going on too. Just so uh, there's a little bit of knowledge here. Um, like the Canaanites, they worship Baal and they worship uh, Asherah to provide for them harvest and um, to provide for them fertility. They thought that Baal protected them from severe storms, from severe seas and those kinds of things. And these are, these are all things that, that uh, the Israelites want. And so piece by piece, they picked up these practices of the Canaanites. I mean, you remember what the Israelites did at the foot of Mount Sinai, right? Moses is up there meeting with God and Aaron's down with the people and they created a what? Golden calf like the Egyptians. It's like they just can't figure it out. I mean, but here's what I'm thinking about. Is it possible that the Israelites, they they looked at the people of, of Canaan and said, well, they seem to be doing pretty well, so maybe we can be like them too. Well, they seem to, you know, have it all figured out. So maybe, 
Maybe what, what they have is better than us. I mean, after all, we came out of this desert, out of this desolate place, and all God gave to us was like water and a couple of birds and some bread, you know, just the necessities. But they have so much more, so maybe we should worship the Canaanite gods. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened or that was a real conversation back then. Oh, it could have been. But what ultimately happens is, little by little, they took on these practices and they chose to worship other gods to the point that when their altar of sacrifice the one that god had instructed them to build once it was damaged and once it was destroyed they didn't fix it they weren't worshiping god anymore it's important for every christian to recognize the ways that we tend to do some of the very same things may not be as crazy as worshiping a baal god because i mean that involves you know sacrificing humans but um it's we do other things like we we see someone else's life and we see them you know successful and think well maybe i'll pattern my life after them or or we'll see someone who who is like they don't seem to have any worries we they they they, their life seems to be all together and we think oh man i wish my life was like that i wish i didn't have all this anxiety and so maybe i'll do the things that they're doing and and we kind of we set aside the fact that instead of inviting god into those places instead of inviting god to come and speak to those things we look to the practices of man and we start to worship those things instead And it seems small, it's like these incremental movements, but they substantially move us away from God. And ultimately, I think this is the reason that we are called to create altars in our life. This is the reason that we we come back to these places so that we can reorient our minds and our hearts to God. So that we we can remember His desire and His plan for us. Right. Ross last week talked about how Sunday mornings are an altar for us, an opportunity for us to come back to God after a long, hard week and say, I messed up. I got some things out of order and, and I need to I need to come back to you, Jesus. I need to come back to you and submit these things to you. And I, honestly, this is why I love small groups, because small groups are another chance for us to do this, to sit around in a community of, of like-minded believers and say, I screwed up. I need your help. Tell me what I need to do. Help me to figure out how I can keep God at the focus point of my life. And by the way, if you're not in a small group, I encourage you to get into a small group. A little plug. You're welcome, Wendy. Pay me later. Anyway. Altars, they're important reminders of who God is in our lives. They keep us focused on Him and His provision. There's something else that I love about Elijah, and, and, and I think his life is it's a picture that's full of movement. I think he's a great model for any of us to follow. Of course, we want to follow Jesus, but quite frankly, Jesus was following Elijah as well. And, um, but here's why. I think a stagnant life leads to a stagnant faith, which ultimately results in our failure to follow God. And um, Let's look for a minute at the movement of Elijah. From the time that he challenged Ahab at the very beginning of this, um, and, and he called out the Baal prophets. Elijah's on the move. He runs 
up Mount Carmel and he comes back down to, uh, to destroy all of the prophets. And then later on in, in the chapter in 18, he runs back up Mount Carmel again, meets with God, challenges Ahab again. Ahab gets in a chariot and then Elijah outruns the chariot. I mean, this, this dude was fast, okay? He's moving everywhere. Then he goes to another place where he's going to anoint um, the next king. Uh, over Israel and Judah, and also the next prophet, Elijah. And, you know, I, I bring all this up because it's, it's like this picture of who Elijah is is significantly important to the lives of later disciples in the New Testament. And specifically, let's read Matthew 16, verses 13 and 14. This is a moment when Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Who do people say that I am? He says, now, when, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, for us, for us contemporary Christians, this may not have a ton of significance to us. But to a Hebrew, to an Israelite person, this is of paramount significance. That Jesus was compared to Elijah. That Jesus, quite frankly, was confused with Elijah. You see, for the Hebrew, they knew that Elijah was the model rabbi. Every rabbi that they trusted and learned from was trying to be like Elijah because he was a man of so much passion and zeal for the Lord. He ran with intensity and he built an altar in the face of 850 enemies. He called them out. This, this Elijah story in 1 Kings chapter 18, it's one of the pillars of the Deuteronomium, the, the Hebrew story. Cannot say that word. Everyone, everyone knew who Elijah was. Everyone understood his passion and his boldness and his intensity. And if people were confusing Jesus with Elijah, it had to mean that Jesus was also bold and intense and zealous. And here's why this matters. See, the discipleship model that Jesus worked with and under was one that said, model your life after mine. Do as I do, say as I say. So if Jesus ran from town to town sharing the gospel, then all of his disciples were running from town to town sharing the gospel. If Jesus walked on the water, then his disciples, what? Walked on the water. They did exactly what he was doing. And I love the beautiful relationship of of mentor and disciple. It's powerful and it's written all over the Bible. The unfortunate part of this for us. We often don't allow this kind of relationship to be a part of our lives. But we're called to it. The mantle of authority that God has over us as sovereign is a part of the discipleship model. When we choose to follow Jesus, what we ultimately say is that I'm under the authority of Jesus, so mold me, make me into the very kind of person that you are Jesus. And what, G, what Elijah was, was fighting against was a people who had taken on an authority of God, but then looked back to the old ways or to the ways of the people that were around them. Remember, you can't go on limping between two different opinions. I want to bring up two other stories 
that I think demonstrate for us as Christians how we are to live as undivided, but as the people that we say that we're following. In 1 Kings, Elijah uh, calls a new prophet to succeed him, Elisha. Okay, This is the story of Elisha's call to be is 19 and 21. And so Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Don't ever mispronounce that word, that name. Um, so uh, Elisha was, was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Elisha called to follow Elijah. And he literally took the things that he was doing, his possessions, and he destroyed them gave him away so that he could be with Elijah. A new life, a new identity. Matthew 4, verse 18 through 22, another story. While Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. They were in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. They left the things that gave them provision to follow Jesus to be as close to him as possible, to become like him. They identified themselves no longer with the stuff around them, but instead they identified with their leader. And they led with the same passion and zeal of Elijah because that's what Jesus led with. Now this is our call too. Those of us who identify with Jesus, who say that he is sovereign over our lives, The model that we're following is one that's passionate and bold. Jesus knew what his purpose was and he lived it out all the way into death, right? So what does this mean for us? I think that it means that living a life following Jesus in pursuit of him is passionate. I think that it means that that we're going to do a lot of things that the world doesn't understand. Not all of us, of course, can run up mountains and challenge authorities and outpace chariots, but at the very least, we need to think about what God has, how God has designed us and what passions He's put into our hearts so that we can pursue those things and be in the will of God. Now, I personally am not a very athletic person. I know that's surprising to many of you when you look at me, but I'm not. I used to play soccer when I was younger, and my coach always put me on the defensive part of the team. And the reason that he did this was because, uh, like when we were running sprints and he was timing all the, all the other players, he timed them and, you know, like, oh, you're faster than that. He was like timing me with carbon 14. Like that's, right? Uh, not fast. Not fast. I don't, if, if I'm being chased is when I run. Um, and anyway, What this means for me is that I know I'm not going to be exactly like Elijah running all around up and down mountains. 
but I can still live with the same kind of passion and zeal for the Lord that Elijah lived with. See, we're called by God to follow him. We are called to live in a way that the people around us know who we are following. Our lives should always point to God. Our words and actions should point to God as a sovereign leader of our lives. We're supposed to be running after God, declaring to the world around us who our authority is. One last scripture. Let's listen to Paul's language to the Galatian churches. This is found in Galatians 5, chapter 7. Paul understood exactly how Jesus lived. He understood exactly how Elijah lived. And he was wanting all of the believers to live in the same way. And so he says it this way. He says, you were running well. Your pursuit was good. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? See, Paul understands that as people, we're broken and we can end up with a divided mind. We can look around at the things in our life around us and we can say, that looks interesting. I want to go after it. But he always, he tries to call us back and say, no, let God be sovereign in, in your life. In fact, this is what he says in verse 10. What hindered you from obeying the truth? Paul continues, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. This is where we can can rest here today. See, the, the Lord is the one who is sovereign. He's the one who is in charge. And if we would just follow him, then he'll take us where we need to go. See, his plan for us is good. It's not about control. It's about providing for us our best interests. It's leading us to a place that's bountiful, that's fertile, that's beautiful. And we can trust in his good plan. We can trust in God. So God doesn't want just part of us. He wants all of us. And if there are places in our lives that we know that we're not fully surrendered to him, he's saying, that's okay. Bring it to me at the altar. Surrender it to me. I'll transform that place. I'll make it like me. I'll make your heart like mine. So this morning, we're going to continue in worship. And I want to encourage you, if, if there's a place in your life that you know, you've identified it, that like, yeah, I just, I struggle with giving this over to God. Let this morning, let this altar be about you surrendering it to him, inviting him, Jesus, into that space, inviting him in to, to, to transform it into his likeness, allowing another part of your life to be surrendered to his full control. So let's do that today. We're going to continue in worship in a minute. I invite you just to spend some time praying about that. If you know what it is, just bring that to the Lord. Let me pray for us and then we'll move on. Heavenly Father, we trust in your good plan. We know that you know what is very best for us. You created us 
You put desires into us. You knew us before we were even formed. And so we say we give these moments to you. We give these places in our lives to you so that you can rule over them as sovereign and we can pursue you as best as we can. Lord, transform us into your likeness, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak to our hearts. We know that you're pursuing us. We pray that we might repent and turn to you. Fall on our faces and declare that you are God, that you are Lord. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.